We want better schools. We want them now. Stand in our way, and you'll catch these eight black hands with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecky, and Stewart. Join us now for an hour or more of talk on education and culture. Welcome to the 8 Black Hands Podcast. Today we have a very special guest. So excuse me if I'm sounding like a fanboy because I am a fan of this lady's work. Uh, Kaya Henderson. This is a very long bio, but uh, bear with me here. Uh, Kaya Henderson leads the Global Learning Lab for the Community Impact at Teach for All. There, she seeks to grow the impact of locally rooted globally informed leaders all over the world who are catalyzing community and system level change to provide to provide children with education support and opportunity to shape a better future she is perhaps best known for her role as chancellor of dc public schools for two, from 2010 to 2000 that's unheard of six years as a soup man she she began her career as a spanish teacher in the south bronx for tfa spanish what what this is what i'm talking about at georgetown university let's give it up for kaya henderson man that's not like it's out of negropedia <laughs> why are you just gonna read it like that let me introduce kaya national treasure had double the lifespan of an average superintendent in one of the toughest markets to be an education leader in the United States and did it successfully with great. But here is the one thing y'all don't know about Kaya Henderson. If you have never met Kaya, Kaya is one of the few people at her level who treats you as if you are at her level. She's one of the few people that will treat you as if you matter. Even when you are rooms full of people who are treating you like you don't matter. <laughs> how I came to know Kaya years ago was being in a room full of people who actually look through you, don't look at you like you matter. And the one person in the room who made me feel human was Kaya Henderson. Mm-hmm. Welcome, Kaya. Thank you. Gosh, who yeah. is that girl? That was a that was a that was a hard job right there, making his ass feel human. <laughs> <laughs> no, but that's that's real though. That's real. I remember when I first, uh, you know, I would always see Kaya from afar. You know, I was uh, doing work in DC and stuff, and then one day I just said hi to her. She said. You that brother that write on Philly Seventh Ward? I was like, oh my God, she reads and she read something. <laughs> oh, you know, cool. I, was, I was so humbled and, and just appreciative. So, yeah. And when I was at the Department of Ed, like Arnie Dunkel would always talk about, yeah, you should look at what Kai is doing. Yeah, you should look at what Kai is doing. <laughs> you know, so I'm on eight black hands all the time because I feel pretty good about myself right now, and that's not always the case. <laughs> Well, Kaya, welcome to the show. We really, really happy to have you. I mean, Kaya is a beast. And if you're looking at trying to build out an, uh, you know, what a career in education can look like where you actually make an impact and even continue to after you step out of the big chair, uh, I, I think you're one of the people that we should be looking at. So thank you so much for what you've done for our kids. Um, and thank you for what you continue to do and just the role that you play in my life personally. I appreciate you. Welcome to the show. All right, well, I, I can't really say nothing about any personal roles that you play in my life because, hey, <laughs> I mean, what the hell? But anyway, first question, first question. Teddy Riley versus Babyface. Who you got, Kaya? 
All your uncles need a little internet help. <laughs> what a mess. What a I mean, mess. Baby face was chilling. It was <laughs> That's true. I didn't stay on. I, it was like two minutes. I was like, you people can't get it together. I got other things to do. So I got off. Yeah. yeah. 400,000 people, man. That's crazy. Although, what I, from what I hear, D Nice came through on the rebound and just did a Teddy Riley versus Babyface thing all, all the rest of the evening. So he saved the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. You know, without Aaron at all. You know, it's kind of like like Teddy like, hey, Riley's not a good matchup because hey. Aaron Hall is really what did it for mm-hmm. him. I think, I think Babyface can sing. You know, Babyface they, can they sing. Can but Teddy Riley's a great producer. Yeah, I mean, he's 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 got a little a whole era, a whole era. Yeah, yeah, he's kind of like he created a sound. He just did too much with the with last night, but he's yeah. he's don't. I mean, I, I I would take Babyface personally, but let's not act like Teddy Riley's not that dude. Like. I'm going to go in and say internet skills aside, I'm going for Teddy Riley. I mean, I love the the baby making music and all of that jazz, but my whole teenage years, my early days, my whole... Baby facing the baby making happens as well. We ain't talking, we ain't saying nothing about education yet. (laughs) No. All right. So, um, first education question: Being a, a a female black soup in a historically disenfranchised community seems like a tough job. In a perfect world, name five resources that you wish you had during your tenure. Five resources that I wish I had. Um, I mean, I I've I've been thinking about that question. I don't know if there are things I I had pretty much everything that I needed to be successful. I had, we, we were a city that had money. We were not running deficits and whatnot. And so I had resources. I also felt like it was really important to make sure that we were spending the resources that we had well before we asked for new resources. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a community that was ripe for change. Uh, we were at a point where we really couldn't go further down. And so people were like, let's just do it. Um, I had policy, you know, freedoms that other people didn't have. Um, I had, I I feel like there's nothing that I wish that I had um, that if I didn't have it, I couldn't get it. I couldn't figure out how to way to legislate it or whatever. I actually feel like a lot of times the tools are there. Um, One of the biggest tools that we use, we changed the the teacher evaluation system significantly. We created the first teacher evaluation system in the country that actually tied teacher performance to student achievement. And I know that's controversial and whatnot, but at the end of the day, you can't say teachers are good if kids are not learning. And the way we, you know, people will say, oh, if I had had that in my place, you know how we figured out that we had that? We read the teacher's union contract. Right. And there was a a provision that said that teacher evaluation was the sole purview of management of the district. And it didn't have to be negotiated, but they had been negotiating it year after year. And so we said, look, not going to negotiate because we don't have to. Sometimes folks don't read the policies that they have. They don't maximize the money that they have. They don't seize upon the will of the people to be able to provide you with political cover. I mean, you know, I think lots of the tools are there. It's just about how you use them. Right. So, I mean, that's dope because usually in like uh, historically disenfranchised communities, the soups don't really have the resources. So you were blessed. 
So that's what's up. I was it was a lucky I mean, there was a little bit of a perfect storm going on in D.C. And I think leadership matters. And I had the privilege of working for three mayors who were super committed to education, who were willing to pull out all their stops and that kind of leadership. I, I don't I mean. That's not what you see from your normal school board. It's not what you see from a lot of mayors. And so I would say we were very lucky to have that. Mm. I mean, I wonder about that a little bit, Cole. Let's start. Yes, what are your thoughts? Any thoughts? Um, uh, no, I, I think that, um, I mean, y'all, like I said, I already know what we're going to get on like the air stuff, right? Like the stuff I want to know from Kaya is different. I, I want to, so I'm going to let y'all go deep in that part. I, my stuff is going to be more about, I want to know more about how she grew up and how she ended up getting to where she was and like that mindset um, and what she kind of had to face. So, you know, y'all, y'all, y'all got it on the education part. Y'all, y'all, y'all killing that. All right. So Charles, ask your yeah. question. Let's go. <laughs> I mean, I, 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 want, I wanted to make sure y'all was able to get that because I think that's a lot of people want to hear that part. But I'm, we'll always, get to it. I'm, I'm more intrigued with like people's stories and like what made you want to take these pivots and come here because I've worked with superintendents. It's a really tough job. I don't think people really understand that job. It's uh, similar in social work where you only really get attention when things go wrong not when things are uh, going well and just being a black woman and then coming, you know, on the heels of the, of the, of the superintendent that, that was before you. I want to know, like, what made you take that path? I want to understand the psychology of Kaya a little bit more. Uh, in terms of taking the, the suit job, I didn't I said no 50 times at least. Um, I didn't want that job. I never wanted to be a superintendent. Um and having a front row seat to my predecessor, Michelle Ree, um, I watched, it was a very controversial um, superintendency. And, you know, I, I think you're right, Charles, like people have no idea how hard the job is and how hard people are working. Um, and I was like, yeah, I don't want none of that. I, I got a life, I have, <laughs> I, I don't want this. Um, and, the thing that made me say yes to the job ultimately was, um, you know, I had worked really hard for three and a half years as deputy to recruit and retain really good people in the district. I had, I mean, literally, I was, it was social work, it was therapy, it was whatever, to get good people to stay at DCPS. It was such a tumultuous time. And a lot of those good people, as soon as Michelle left, those people were like, all right, well, I'm out. And for three and a half years, I have been building this like critical mass of awesome people and, and getting them to stay at DCPS. And then when one person was not reelected, Mayor Fenty, or when one person decided that they weren't going to be a superintendent anymore, Michelle, all these people were kind of dusting off their resumes and they were about to be out. And I just felt like DCPS could not sustain a humongous you know, kind of departure from with, with lots of people. But those people, those principals, those teachers were saying to me, you know what, we'll stay if you stay. Um, and I called my pastor at the time and I was like, how do I make this decision? And he said, I, I don't know how to tell you how to make this decision, but he was facing a decision at the time as to whether or not to run for bishop. And he said that the word God gave him was, if somebody else can do it, then you shouldn't do it. But if only you can do it, if only you can do this particular thing at this particular time, then you should do it. And so that was the advice 
that coupled with these people saying, like, we'll stay if you stay. They weren't saying, we'll stay if we get a, a decent superintendent. Mm-hmm. They were like, we believe in you and we'll stay if you stay. And so I was like, okay, if they are willing to stay, then I got to be willing to stay, even though I'm scared. I don't know this job well. I <laughs> I know some things, but not other things. I know that the pressure on me as an African-American woman is going to be twice as much as whatever Michelle was getting. I mean, they tried to punk me and tell me that they were going to pay me less to do the job. Mm, wow. Not only less than Michelle, but less than I was making as deputy. It was a whole slew of things that I had to fight even to get into the job. And then when I got in the job, because I wasn't doing it the way certain folks wanted me to do it, um, I got frozen out on funding. Folks have heard me talk about this before. Mm-hmm. Education philanthropists said they wouldn't give me money. And so I had to go cultivate other sources. I mean, you know, this is what black people go through, right? (laughs) Whatever we do, we got to find a different way because the way that works for everybody else doesn't have to, doesn't work for us. And, you know, I mean, you build up a lifetime of that kind of professional experience, hustle, stick-to-itiveness. And when you know what your mission is, then you find a way to do it. And that's what we did at DCPS. I was fortunate to have amazing other people who stepped in and, and helped me do what we needed to do. Mm-hmm. Thank you. That's what's up. All right. So if you were currently in the role of chancellor of uh, or superintendent of any school district uh, during this pandemic, name three things you would have done immediately. I mean, I, I would do what lots of people are doing, right? I would do my very best to get uh, to keep learning going, whether that is getting packets out or devices out or whatever. Um, I would figure out, I mean, I think that people are really traumatized. Um, And one of the things that I know for sure matters is relationships. And I personally would be on the phone every day. I mean, teachers calling their students makes a huge difference, but I feel like this is when leaders should be calling their frontline people. I would, I'd have a list of superintendents. I I mean, a list of principals and a list of teachers. And every day I just get through a bunch to let people know that we're all in this together, that I care about them, that I'm thinking about them. I feel like the relational piece is lost, right? Like we're all about the logistics and how do we do this and that and the other, but we got to tend to people's spirits. And so I would make sure that I'm staying in touch with my frontline people. Um, And then maybe the third thing that I would do is, I mean, I I would, uh, part, maybe part of that is communicating, like nobody is pressed about how much kids are learning between now and June, right? Like, yes, keep learning going. Yes, let's do what we can, but let's give ourselves a little bit of grace. Um, Let's figure out what kids need. Let's not like make ourselves super crazy. And so I think those are the things that I would try to do to manage through this difficult time. All right, so let's get one more question in before we get to these comments, because these comments is rocking and rolling in here. Um, So... Let's talk around the country. Everybody gets an A for the rest of the school year after uh, after schools are being shut down. What are your thoughts on that? Let's go. This can be controversial right here. Oprah, why, why is it, you get an A. You get an A. Why is it controversial? Why would I, I personally, that would not be what I would do. I, I don't claim to know what's happening in those school districts, but I can't. I, I just don't. 
I don't understand what kind of message you think you're sending to kids to say everybody gets an A when everybody hasn't earned an A. Like we're doing a disservice. That's not how life works. Right. So why would we set kids up that way? Why would we dishonor our kids who are doing everything to earn an A and give them the same grade as kids who aren't doing anything to earn an A? What what kind of what kind of preparation is it? I mean, this is like the participation trophy thing, right? Like I don't understand. This is not how it works. So I don't understand how this is actually helpful to kids. Uh, All right, so we we can we can round table the participation trophies. Yeah, but we can <laughs> we can round ta- we can round table this. Chris, what are your thoughts on everybody gets an A? I mean, it's just like everything else. We're lying to kids. We're lying to people. Like they, they, you know, some, uh, I tweeted last week. I think uh, even with uh, high school diplomas, sometimes in some places, we're, we're lying to our kids. I mean, how are you going to have a, a district that has 80, 90 percent graduation rate and a 30 percent proficiency rate? Right. Like, like, what's that tell you? It tells you that we're lying to kids. We're giving them pieces of paper that don't matter. We're giving them grades sometimes that are inflated. Sometimes they're deflated, depending on the bias of whoever's there. I don't know what you do in a, a time like this, though. This is crisis time. I mean, it's you got to do things a little bit differently and everything sounds hard to do right now. But I have a different question. Kai, you know, like a lot of the, the black superintendents that I'm paying attention to are uh, in middle markets. They're not in the necessarily all in the big markets. And so they reach out to me sometimes and I've never been a superintendent. Right. I wonder what you what it's like to call you and say, listen, Madison, Wisconsin wants me to be their first black superintendent. Des Moines, Iowa, you know, whatever. I'm making up names. I'm just making up places because these are the people I hear about in those places. One who just recently got ran out of town on some real BS, like serious, just like textbook, political, you don't belong here stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm a brand new superintendent right now of St. Paul, Minnesota, for instance, and I call you, what, what, what do you tell me about how I survive? I tell you that you are your most powerful, uh, you're like a car, right? The moment you drive off the lot, you're back, <laughs> you depreciate, so. You will die. No, we think it happens the opposite way. We think like we're down here and we're earning or whatever, and that's actually hard to do. Like people believing you the most and are willing to go with you when you are brand new. And so you should use that initial time to like be very clear about what it is you're trying to accomplish. If you have to do hard things, put those hard things out now. Um, I would tell you that. I would tell you that um, these are not your schools. <laughs> these schools actually belong to the community. And so if you're not co-creating solutions with the community, then you're not going to win, right? Like you have some expertise. The community has some expertise. When those two things come together, like magic happens, right? But if you think you're going to come in there and tell people what to do, you're going to save people, you're going to get people engaged in your vision. That's not the way it goes, right? Like you got to do it with your people. Um, and then what else would I tell people? I would tell people get some sleep because I mean, if you don't take care of yourself, you can't do this job for long. Um, and the job is grueling. Um, and so I would say that. And then I would say, I'd ask the person about how thick their skin is because people will call you everything but a child of God in this role. Um, about it, that's wild. I'm, yeah. Yeah. It, well, it is. It wears on you personally, even if you have the thickest skin. And so, anybody's listening, the one piece of advice I always give them is how much to find out everything you can about the world. Mm-hmm. 
board that is trying to hire you, find out whether or not that board is crazy because because um, that's not something you want to find out later in life that you didn't <laughs> on to some nonsense. And it, it's what kills superintendencies all the time. What do you think, Charles? Yeah, I mean, I, I, um, I think, you know, I worked with the superintendent that was coming in after her. And like I said, I, I know Kaya. I think uh, I think all that stuff is spot on. I would also say just listening to you speak, uh, we ha- we have like more of an insider baseball talk. So for people that's out there listening, there are some cities where the mayor has an appointee that they appoint to, to, to superintendent or chancellor or CEO, like in Chicago. Um, and there are some places where there is a, a, a board that's voted in and they hire and fire and grade the superintendent. Right. So if this is something that you're interested in, you need to know exactly the type of city that you're in and understand what you're getting yourself into, because the politics are different if you're in a mayor led educational city versus a board led educational city. So I think that was a part that played in uh, with Kaya pretty heavily. And the the, the strategy might have been different if she had a different set of circumstances. Um, But I think that's one of the things that that I think that you do well is I think that you navigated those politics. I would also say, get ready. If you are somebody that was liked your whole entire career and you like people liking you and that matters to you, I would say that this probably is not your ministry. Um, <laughs> you, ministry at this all. is probably not your ministry, right? No. Um, you know, it's something, I mean, people like to mess with me and ask if I would ever think about doing superintendent. I would say no, uh, cause I enjoy joy. And so, I mean, so for me, I think you are mostly right, but here's what I'm going to tell you. And, and I actually feel very serious about this. Mm-hmm. Like we, we make the superintendency look like it is the most disgusting job in the whole wide world. And that's why good people don't want to take it. Right. I didn't make it disgusting. Other people. But I'm serious. People don't want the superintendency. I didn't want the superintendency, right. but I, it was literally the best job I've ever had. I enjoyed everything. Every moment of my superintendency, even when, you know, when it wasn't good, it got good after. Right. And so I want people to understand that, like, we need to be in these roles. We can't absolutely we can't be afraid of these roles. We have the ability to make such tremendous impact for our kids. And so I don't want people to be afraid of the superintendents. It's hard, it's rough, it's all of that. And it's joyful and it's amazing. And people come up to you in the grocery store and say, Thank you so much. I was on the Amtrak a couple of weeks ago, right? And and literally got my headphones on, doing my thing, gave the dude my ticket. And he was like, I know who you are. And I was like, who do you think I am, right? And he was like, you know, I know who you are, Chancellor Henderson. And I just want to say thank you so much. Wow. I was, uh, you know, you look at his graduation. I said, what is he doing now? He said, he works at Amtrak like me. I said, well, that's a good job. He said, because he got a good DCPS education. And like those moments, you just... They keep on keeping on. And so, I so, I, so I appreciate that. I agree with All you. Power so, to so, you. <laughs> so does that mean that you're ready to do it again? So so sounds like Kaya Henderson is ready <laughs> to come and take over another major market school district. Um, I would no, no, I, I agree with you. I, I think I think it does have some rewarding pieces. The other pieces that I would say is you got to have people in there that you trust, uh, people that are competent and that you trust. Like it is a, it is a political beast. And I don't, I think some people are just pure educators. Um, like, like my friend and colleague that came after you, I think he is somebody who is a pure educator and 
and, and, and try to not really care about the politics as much, but those politics will get you. And um, it's a political job. It's a political it's job. job. It, it actually is. And you are, and if you run a district and I'll be, and I'll, I'll leave it alone after this, you, it's not just about education. You are probably mm-hmm. running the largest job provider in that city, definitely mm-hmm. a top three provider. So mm-hmm. if you go in and you're thinking that you want to just go in and you only going to talk about books and learning and things like that, you are about to learn about the economics of that city, the lifeblood of that city. And that when like you are in charge of a lot of people's home lives, as far as like money is concerned. Right. So um, I just think that those are things that people never talk about. Like when I was getting my doctorate, nobody was mentioning to these people that wanted to be superintendents at some point. Like this is why I be kind of going hard on schools of education. It's like there should be just a whole class and section just around managing the finances of like and just the economic the the economics of uh, being a superintendent. Yeah, agreed. Mm-hmm. How, well, how did you how did you get there though, Kaya? Like what? Kaya still slang as a model. Mm. Say it one more time. Michelle Johnson. Ask Ooh. is Kaya still slaying as a model? What <laughs> <laughs> you call in your modeling career? Oh yeah, you got, you got to tell people. You got to give people the backstory on that yeah, guy. They're gonna be like, "What is that? What are they talking about?" All kinds of things happening in the world, right? So what happened was Chris out here blowing up her spot. She didn't want nobody to know that. Chris, go ahead. This <laughs> is super important. So uh, Kenya Bradshaw. Many of you know Kenya Bradshaw mm-hmm. at TNT. Uh, Kenya put these fly pictures of herself on Facebook. She was all glammed up in fancy clothes and whatnot. And I was like, wow, girl, what's she doing? She was like, oh, yeah, I had a photo shoot in New York for this, you know, plus size um, retailer. And I was like, wow, you look amazing. That's awesome. And she was like, you could do it, too. And I was like, really? What? She's like, yeah, they would love to have you. They feature people um, who are they feature women who are plus size who are doing interesting things and so let me talk to the people and see if I can get you on and I was like okay they called me uh, and they said the retailer is called Eloqui um, and they were like yeah we'd love to fly you to New York and do a photo shoot and so we did um, and it was super fun and I had a good time and go figure uh, the clothes that I modeled were selling better than expected, right? Mm-hmm. And so they invited me back and asked me to do their catalog for them, their spring catalog. They named a skirt after me, the Kaya skirt. Ah, nice. So it was great. Wow. And it was, to me, it was really important. Um, you know, I'm a big girl and I'm not mad about it. And I think that so many of our young ladies who are plus size don't get to see themselves in a positive light like that. And so, you know, every year, for example, I go to, you know, when I was chancellor, I went to lots of galas and stuff. And you, you know, you need gowns and you can't have the same thing too often because people take pictures. So I had all these gowns and every year I would give them to, um, I would donate them to our high schools so that some of our plus size girls would have nice things for the prom. And, you know, they'd send me pictures of themselves in the gowns and they felt really good about themselves. And I wanted to do something to help our big girls know that they are pretty too, that they could be smart and have impact and be a fashion model. And so I thought, you know, we have range as people. And I wanted to show that, you know, that was also part of what I could do and what our girls could do. And so that was, yeah, that was cool. Super cool. Yo, that is so dope. That might be one of the most powerful things that has happened on this podcast. That and Reef's feet. 
Stop it. Stop it. We don't even want to go into it. Read a picture of his feet. Um, and Ray and Charles were not. Listen, Kaya was a is a model. I was a foot oh my model. God, please stop was, it. You know, Kaya, so don't, don't don't do it. Kaya, don't mention it. Don't mm-hmm. don't jo- don't don't have a comment about it because nope. them things is ashy, and we don't even want to put that in the same. We don't even, want, I don't even want that right now. I don't even want that ashy else. energy next to you because you well moisturized out in these streets, <laughs> and apparently Sharif has been boycotting moisture. Um, so we're not gonna do that. <laughs> He like his wood panel and dryness. That's what he like. That's what it looked like. All right, so so let's jump in these comments. What 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 folks talking about? Yeah, you got a lot of comments, man. There's a lot of people that's out here loving uh, Kai. I'm a, Chris. Chris is on the control with that. Um, but there's a lot of folks. It's a few people that worked here for you that uh, said that uh, Rochelle Wilson said that Kaya tenure rocked. Um, uh, so there's people that shouting you out. People whose yeah, lives you changed. We had a good time at DCPS. We had a lot of fun. That's what's up. Ned said you should do it again. Uh, so, yeah, because, I mean, you just talked about how great of a job it was and how happy it made you. And I just want you to be happy. You know what I mean? So yes, wait, there's other happy out here, too. I'm just, I'm just saying, you know, when I when I said that, she she corrected me. She stopped so, me and said, let me tell you the joy. So, so let me ask you, let me ask you this. Right, oppo- right opportunity. Right district. Right situation. Would you do it again? Um, I think I think right time. So let me let me say two things, right? I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a little. Chris, you should zoom in on her picture for this answer. Go ahead. I'll give you a little story. So uh, the Washington Nationals asked me if I would throw out a pitch at the ball game, right? They do it for I don't know city leaders and stuff like that. So I was like, yeah, sure, I'll do it. I had to practice. I don't know how to throw a baseball, right? So I had to practice. I learned. I like practice, practice, practice because, you know, I'm watching 50 Cent throw crazy and Justin Bieber throw crazy and all of these like celebrities who mess this thing up, right? And I was like, that's not going to be me. So I practice really hard. I get out there on the mound. I throw a perfect pitch right over the mound. Ooh, it's beautiful, right? And ooh, the people cheered. Yay, right? The next year, they were like, do you want to do it again? And I was like, no, thank you. And they were like, why not? I was like, because there's nowhere to go but down. <laughs> right. Right. That makes me not want to do it again. But, um, I mean, there might be a time, I think, not, not even right situation or whatever. I, I think um, the real deal is the the personal toll that it takes on you, right? Like, mm-hmm. I mean, I was at DCPS for nine and a half years and like nine and a half years of people, you know, kind of like of grinding public work, very public work. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a lot. And it it took me a few years to recover. (laughs) Um, And so, I mean, I think there might be a, a time where I'm willing to put my life back out into the public sphere in that way. Um, but not right this second. I feel like I'm enjoying my anonymity and, you know, whatever. Um, Let me get a comment in here. Uh, Robert Parker asked, what does the process look like to authentically include the community in making district-wide decisions as a superintendent? So for me, um, it meant a couple of things. First, 
you know, people would say, well, what, what is your strategic plan going to look like? And I was like, well, I don't have a strategic plan. We have to ask people what they want DCPS to look like. And so we started our work by doing a hopes and dreams campaign, asking 10,000 people across the city, what do you want DCPS to look like in the next 10 years? And we took that information and that became our strategic plan. Um, every big decision that we made, um, from what report cards should look like to which schools we had to close to um, developing our new curriculum. We actually asked the people closest to the ground, students, families, teachers, what they wanted to do. I'll give you one example. We were um, required to do, before we kicked off the annual budget process, we were required to do a public budget hearing. And these hearings were super random. Anybody in town would come down and say, I want more money for music education, or I want more money for parks or whatever, right? And we said to sit there and it seemed silly to me. Um, but I decided that instead of doing just a plain old public hearing first, that the first people, the most important people to hear from were our students. And so mm. I set up the opportunity to bring two high schools, two students from every single one of our high schools um, to meet with me and my staff to tell us. And their job was to poll their constituents and bring to the table their priorities for the year. It was the first time anybody had asked students what they wanted to see in the budget. And so that's how we kicked off. And now it's a thing, right? Every year they start the budget process by asking students. That to me is what authentic stuff looks like. And, and what students will tell you is different things than what grownups will tell you, right? These young people said, we want more rigorous courses. We want more AP courses. You know, we want more languages. We want to be prepared to be global citizens. We need technology. We need money for student government. If you're preparing us to lead, then give us the resources to be able to begin to lead now. And I mean, I think for real authentic community engagement, or I, I would call it community partnership, starts with a mindset that you actually believe the community has something to bring to the table. Yeah. I think far too many times we, we do the check the box thing. I went to the community, I told them what I wanted to do. I heard some feedback and now I'm gonna go ahead and do whatever I wanna do anyway. I mean, the community told us things that we didn't know and we made real changes or we, you know, I would say to my people, what we're going out with is a proposal based on the best information that we have. But the community has data as well. It might not be on a spreadsheet like ours is, or it might not be in a deck, but they have information, they have relationships, they have tools and resources that we need too. And so when we put our expertise with their expertise, we get to better decisions. And that to me, believing that the community brings something to the table, and then actually creating the shared opportunity to do the work together. That's what authentic community partnership is like to me. Mm -hmm. You know, Yehara Lopez asked, do you think parents are truly seen as partners in education? Can you talk about some stigmas plaguing our communities about parents of color in the educational space? Sure. I mean, you know, uh, if you, especially if you're in a district that isn't achieving I think many people believe that parents are the problem or the community is broken and they ignore all of the structural and historical and resource issues that have like, communities don't get broken by themselves. Huh. And so I think that a lot of people assume that 
if if you're in a, a challenging community, then the people there um, are challenged or challenging. I think we also have to grapple with the fact, I, I, I won't speak for anybody else, I had to grapple with the fact that DCPS had failed many of my kids' parents and grandparents, right? Um, and that they'd had bad educational experiences. And so they had had promises made and broken. And it wasn't me, it was DCPS, but like that was the burden that we had to bear. And so, um, you know, we had to rebuild trust with parents. We had to rebuild relationships with parents. We had to actually even, I mean, we had to train teachers on how to engage parents as partners. And that's usually, I mean, Traditionally, as educators, we've been like, you know what, just drop your kids off. We got this. We're the experts. We're good. Well, parents are actually experts in their own kid. They know their kid better than anybody else. <clears throat> and we don't actually honor that. We don't try to bring their expertise together with our expertise. So, no, I don't think that parents are respected. I think, in fact, that during this time right now, many parents are getting um, their first real look into what's happening in classrooms. Um, and, and many of them are shocked by the low quality that they're seeing. And I'm not talking about just in challenging urban districts or in low performing districts. I got friends who pay $40,000 for their kids to go to the best private schools in America. And they are actually freaked out by the quality of what they see coming home during this distance learning environment. Mm -hmm. Can I ask you just a, a quick question that's on my mind about parents? Um, did you ever have to deal with parents that are privileged or think they run things and they have power and they want you to make decisions that kind of, they, they, they've mastered the language of equity. They know how to make it sound like it's equity, but you know in your heart of hearts that what they're asking you for is inequitable. No, I've never encountered that. <laughs> I mean, D.C. is the most, um, has the largest socioeconomic gap in the country. It's the metropolitan area with the largest inequality gaps in the country. And so, yeah. And to be, you know, brutally honest, um, the, the previous mayor's administration had actually believed that catering to to wealthy people, to bring wealthy people back to the district, to bring their kids back to district schools would trickle down and make all the rise. And so there had been four years of really catering to, um, to the upper middle class and to some of our wealthiest uh, parts of town. And, you know, one of the things that, that I was accused of being was overly concerned with poor kids. Mm. Um, I mean, you know, the hardest part of my job was being chancellor for everybody and trying to help people understand that I had as much of an obligation to rich kids as I did to poor kids that, you know, in fact, I had a different obligation. I had an, a different obligation to people who've been constantly told, wait, you know, your time is coming and other people who are getting what they you know, what they wanted. And when that dynamic flipped, you know, I mean, that's when folks started really coming after me. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is the deal. The deal is it is a finite pie. And so, you know, people fight for resources and fight for attention. And we've got to find a different way to ensure that the people who need it most get what they need. Right. Um, I had a 
Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, host. I got you. I ain't gonna... <laughs> no, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. I, I, you know, I, listen, I try to respect the host, brother. And I, I appreciate you. Time, and I appreciate you and your respect for the host because you know, these other two <laughs> got no respect for nobody. I mean, this is the quietest I've ever heard Sharif in my life. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm listening, you know. He's man. fanboying. He's fanboying. He listening to that ash on his feet talk. So the question that I have, right, is, I mean, it's that ashy. It's that bad. But so shout out to the patron uh, members of Eight Black Hands. We're doing a book club right now. We're doing uh, Education of, uh, of Blacks in the South by James D. Anderson. And yesterday, they learned about what Sabbath schools are and how just right after slavery was the highest level of learning uh, and, and literacy that the Black community had ever seen. And some of the questions... schools created, historically Black Absolutely, houses. right? Absolutely. And some of them, you know, I'm a, I'm a person, and I say this a lot, that we're on our own, and we shouldn't necessarily be waiting for any system to come and serve us, because we have data that shows us that it doesn't. But we do have some amazing patrons in that group that's saying that they want to... They want advice around if they want to start these types of things in conjunction or in relationship with their traditional district, uh, what advice do you have for them? Because they're fed up, they're, they're tired of seeing that only two or three out of 10 black kids can read or agree that grade level. They're tired of seeing kids get A's and not be proficient. And people are fed up. And I keep telling these people they're on their own. So now we got somebody who is with us and from our community and that actually moved the needle in a lot of places. What advice do you have for our amazing patrons? These are people who want to start schools? They're not necessarily start schools. What they're saying is they want to add in these other varieties of education that help supplement what they might not be getting in their schools, right? So like a Sabbath school in addition to yeah, 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 yeah. they got already. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so, I mean, I, I don't know. This is my current obsession. How do we educate our own community the way other people educate their own communities? Um because I don't think that you can rely on other people to teach you what you need to know. Um, but that's a whole long thing. I mean, why, why, when you say in conjunction with, like, so here's what I say. Mm -hmm. Don't, don't be pressed about doing it in conjunction with, right? Um, school, school districts have a zillion requirements you can't, certain people can't volunteer because they X or Y or Z, or, you know, you have to do it between this, these hours of the day and uh, too many constraints, right? I actually feel like if you do something on a Saturday or after school or over the summer or whatever, you get to do it however you want to do it, right? Sharif, Freedom Schools, you do however you want to do. You don't have to worry about seat time. You don't have to worry about requirements. You don't have to worry about teaching X or Y or Z. Do your own thing separate and apart. Absolutely. 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 I mean, listen, again, I'm somebody I don't I don't think that any of these systems necessarily love us. I think that you can look at what is here and ain't we tired of saying like the system is doing what it's designed to do. I feel like I hear that shit every week. Right. I feel like I say it every month. Right. Like, so we know this, but, but I do think and, and we unpacked it this conversation. What I do think is I think that there are some people that are trying to be with these community people that's talking about their local schools and their local districts and all that stuff. And they're trying to, they're like, you know what? I, I bet if I, if I went to them and tried to do it in conjunction, like that these people really want to do well. So if you, if I you, just wanted to give some, some yeah, insight from it. If you can make it happen, but I mean, there were community groups who came to me that wanted to do really good things and literally my hands were tied. I couldn't yeah. because of insurance or because of this requirement or that or the other. Don't let me hold you back. Go do your thing. 
right? I, I think we, we are we still don't believe in ourselves enough right. to know that we can do this. We don't know our history. We don't know the Marva Collins story. We don't know the 5,000 community schools created during Reconstruction. We don't know 17 HBCUs. Like, we don't know these things. We, we don't, so we don't trust ourselves. We feel like we got to do it. We feel like we need other people's money. We built HBCUs on little church ladies' dollars, right? Like coins and whatnot. We can do it for ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. One thing. Oh, go ahead, Ray. No, 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 no. Big reef speak. <laughs> big week of big big reef of speakers. <laughs> really? Kai, I had, I had a question. You do a lot of international work, and what what have you seen that you're like? You know what I. I wish America didn't buy into. All right, let me let me stop, let me stop let me stop you oh. because you know you know you know that's on the question list, bro. And so you jumping ahead right now or whatever, like you doing that's that's insane, Reef. Be what he does. All right, be what he does. Carry on, speak, Reef. Let me interrupt you. Uh huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Just what, what do you wish was adopted here, based on what you've seen internationally? Here's the thing. I thought I wanted to do international work because I was like, I, I just need to see something different, right? I feel like the U.S. education context is kind of whack, and I wanted to be inspired by some other stuff. And I would say that, um, you know, we are struggling with many of the same things that people all over the world are struggling with. Um, we're actually struggling less because we have more resources, frankly, than a lot of other places. But one thing that I will say that um, that I, I like there is a spirit of I think there are two things that I see that I wish were the case here. One, in every other country, not every other country, but most other countries, even in places with deep, deep inequities, like there is a belief that government actually is responsible for its people. Right. Mm-hmm. Whether that is providing health care or providing education or whatever, whatever, like other governments seem to feel responsible for the people that they are in charge of in ways that our government doesn't. This whole American rugged individualism, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. If you're not succeeding, it's your fault. That is that that is very different than a lot of the communal sort of things that I see, even in some of the most sort of dictatorial places in the world, there's still some sense of commonality, some sense of we're all in this together. And I think that leads people to make different decisions. Um, I think the other thing that I see is in places where they're just letting innovation like go because the government just can't do it all. So India is a very interesting example to me. Like people are starting new things, creating new things because it's a lot of people and mm-hmm. government cannot do it all. And so the the level of leadership and innovation that I see coming out of, for example, Teach for India is just insane. Um, and I think we have that here too. I think we don't celebrate it enough. I think we don't create the ecosystem where we are really, I mean, the truth of the matter is right now, a zillion companies should start an education space to deal with the fact that these schools were not ready to transition to distance learning, who can't or can't rethink what schools should look like. We're going to have rolling closures, right? This is not going to be the first time that we close and it won't be the last time. 
Like if we're not figuring out new ways to do school, if we're not allowing people to break the rules and to set down policy and to maximize this crisis, then we're going to keep on getting the same crap that we've been getting. I feel you. I feel you. I don't think anybody's mentioning what you just said, though. I don't think anybody's talking about rolling closures. As Let me tell you. Fact, I mean, you're not going to be able to bring 500 kids or 3,000 kids into a school building, right? Like, we might very well be facing the fact that some kids go to school Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and other kids mm-hmm. go Tuesdays and Thursdays. We mm-hmm. might have the fact that some kids only, you know, are only are online for four hours a day. Like, mm-hmm. it, it could be completely different. This is, like, this is the time where the Carnegie unit and sea time goes out the window, right? Mm-hmm. And we get to... We could focus on mastery, which would be, I mean, you know, like that's what we should be talking about. How do we know that kids are learning stuff and who cares how long it takes them to learn it or where they learn it? If they can demonstrate that they've learned it, why can't we give people credit for that and instead of the credit for the time that they're sitting in their seat? That's way more controversial than it should be. But, but you know, but we've been talking about this is the time that we need to be talking about it though, right? I feel like I feel like on this show, we've been saying this ever since this thing happened is that this is the moment where generational like ideations come into play and we change things, right? We've been talking about how schools look the same. Like this is the moment, right? I went to a year round school actually, and I was on track a meaning that I went to school three months and then I was off a month. And then there was another group of kids that went a different time because we just had to utilize that building space. And it was just too many people. Right. But we want to be around schools for sure. Right. Right. And and I think that that's something that we need to be talking about. We need to be talking about in a system where we in a show where we talk about two out of 10 black kids being able to read. Right. Like this is the conversation of saying, how do we actually make sure that our babies are literate? This is the time when we stop asking people for permission. You know, again, the, the important thing that what Kaya just said, you just heard somebody from one of the largest districts with all that he tell you, don't wait for me. Don't wait for me. And people are like, well, I don't have the tools. Listen, the people that we talked about in that book, they were fresh out of slavery. Yeah. They were they were fresh out of being like having chains on them and only five percent of them. So they found a few folks that actually could read and they built schools and universities that we still go to today. Like you got everything you need. Mm-hmm. So we, we got to just stop at stop begging people to love us that ain't trying to fuck with you. I'm sorry, man. I'm just, and, and I mean, we on the eight black hands. This is the conversation that we have. Didn't mean to curse in front of you, but this I'm is the, This is the conversation that, this is, this is the conversation that you have. <laughs> All right, that's fine. I, I, I was trying to give you some, some, some love with me, but I'll take it on my own. It's fine. I'm cool. Take that. You, can, you can have all that love. But this is also why, I mean, this is why I don't want to go back to being a superintendent. I don't want to do this work on somebody else's terms. I want to do this work on my terms. I, want, I, mean, I, I, I tried to build a curriculum that was rigorous. I, I, I sent kids to on study abroad experiences. And you know what people told me? Those kids don't need to go abroad. Well, wait a minute. If your kids get to go abroad, why can't my kids go abroad? I fought tooth and nail to give poor black kids the kind of education that I wanted for my own kids. And I don't want to fight to do that. I want to do that because I think it's the right thing to do. And I want to find the right circumstances to be able to do that. We like if you think you want to do something in education, start it yourself. There's going to be lots of time. There are going to be parents who are looking for an alternative because they're not interested in sending their kids back into the doldrums that are, you know, in schools that aren't working for them. And if we, our community, doesn't create some new alternatives 
then what? Shame on us for wasting the opportunity. All right, real quick, shout out to our Patreon member, David McGuire. He's a principal in Indianapolis. Uh, he has a question. Uh, how did how did you balance the politics that may have interfered with what was best for uh, what was best educationally for children and families? I mean, you know, that is that's the thing. Every day you try to do everything that you can to get closest to the right thing for children and families. There were tons of times where I ran afoul. I ran afoul of the U.S. Department of Education and I did what I thought was right. And they said bad things about me and then later on came back and apologized. Right. Like, you know, I got to I got to close my eyes and go to sleep every night. Right. And, you know, I I find that I I was even during this coronavirus thing, I watched as some superintendents felt like they couldn't do distance learning because like the whatever the U.S. Department, like, you know how long it's going to take the U.S. Department of Education to catch up with you on whatever they are mad about doing? Like do what you know is good and right. I couldn't in good conscience like have kids home and not doing anything for weeks on end. And so I, I think you nine times out of 10 have to do what is good and right for kids. And you got to be willing to take it on the chin because you're going to take it on the chin, right? You're going to have politicians yelling and screaming at you. You're going to have funders who say, I don't want to fund you. And you just keep it moving. I think, you know, you've got to do what you think is good and right for kids. Now, don't don't be stupid. Don't do it by yourself, right? <laughs> Get yourself a group of people who are going to do it with you, who are going to provide you with cover. I mean, half of it is explaining to people what you want to do and why. We get in these leadership positions and we just roll. We think we got the right answers and whatnot. I spent a, a year before I closed schools at DC Public Schools. I sent, spent a year talking about why our resources were out of balance, what we could do if we consolidated, till it got to the point where people were like, you know what? Like, let's do it. Let's just close schools. We know we got to do it. Why? Because people understood. I was able to show people how we were wasting money and whatnot. You got to explain what you're trying to do. People understand, even my union friends, right? Like we got a controversial union contract through because we spent three years talking to people, showing them data, the union folks, helping them understand why we were pursuing these changes. And 80% of the Washington Teachers Union voted in our contract. It was the most controversial contract in the country. But if you respect people and you want to work with them, you got to explain what you're doing and why. Mm. Kai, can I ask you a question? Because I think people need to hear as many people say it as possible. Kai, is anybody coming to save us? I'm just curious. Just let me know. <laughs> you already know the answer. No, I just, I just want to know. I don't because I don't think I don't Nobody think people know. respect you. People respect you differently. So, I, Kaya, who's coming to save us? And no, when? what time? I want to make sure that I got a haircut. If we don't save True. ourselves, we're not gonna get saved. Ooh. Kai, Kai Henderson just told you right there. That's a thumbnail. <laughs> if we don't save ourselves, ain't nobody gonna save us. Wow. All right. So so schools will reopen one day. Um, how do you if you if you were soup, you were superintendent of a of a district, um, how do you ensure I mean, what are you gonna have in place for scholars when they get back to school post COVID in the fall? I mean, I think that there is uh, there's a lot of time, right? Most most districts are not reopening until the fall. And so I think if we leave students, uh, if we if we if, if schools aren't responsible for summer school, then we have a fighting chance. I feel like 
It's the time for the ecosystem, all of the parks and rec, libraries, nonprofits, camps, whoever, to figure out what the summer plan is for kids. And, and that summer plan has to be socializing them back into a structured environment, right? We gotta, I'm not worried about learning over the summer. I'm worried about reigniting their critical thinking. I'm worried about taking care of their social and emotional learning. I'm worried about play. I'm worried about just making kids feel good about being kids and being with people again. People have been sitting, will have been sitting home for six months. And I think if the rest of the ecosystem can take care of summer, then schools right now, school systems right now should be preparing to make sure that every single kid has a device and a MIFI or whatever, that whatever the curriculum is, that you're thinking about it in chunks and you're able to be flexible with it. You, if, Even if kids have um, uh, devices, you still need to be able to give them books and flashcards and tools or whatever kind of learning tools there are. And I think we have to do this in a way where we are not relying on parents to, to do this while parents are at home because parents may not be at home. Parents are going to go back to work. Um, I think we have to think differently about how we are, how we deal with our littlest ones. What are the K through two kids doing who don't have gross motor skills, fine motor skills, right? Who aren't revving up the Zoom and getting on and driving their own learning. Like, I think that we have six months to figure this out. But to me, like on day one, learning relationship building starts and learning starts. Um, kids, so we, have, kids. Um, we got three comments here that I want to link together so that everybody feels heard but they, they kind of sound like they link together. Robert Parker says, it's sad that you made it to the highest level of influence, but still felt like you had no control. This just, yeah, I didn't say no control. I know. This, this further <laughs> confirms that we need to be, uh, create our own schools. So I feel like the brother landed in the right spot with that one. I mean, it was, it was minute. Yahara says, uh, what do you think about this whole beef between charters and public schools? Um, and Marilyn says, I believe the black community should leverage they're white co-conspirators. Just saying. Uh, she always just saying something. <laughs> okay, see, we're not gonna let you attack. Stop hating on America. you are, right, bro? Stop it. Stop <laughs> it. The way I see these three relating is they 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 seem to all be saying we need to do something for ourselves, like start schools. And and this one, this last one that I read, seems to hit on what you said earlier about a lot of the funders disappeared when you came into your role uh, at, at, uh, uh, in DC. Yeah, so, I didn't know that. So that was really, so, was so black folks are trying to start schools right now. Mm -hmm. And, and the capital isn't always there the way that it is for other people. Mm -hmm. That's like a problem. So we can talk about like, we need to do something for ourselves, which we do. But this is the United States of America. You don't have the capital to do something. Now you're in trouble, right? Yeah, I, but I don't think that we have done a good job of engaging wealthy Black people to help support. Mm. Um, I, I mean, if you look at the vast majority of education funders uh, are are not from our community, and I that's that's okay. I will take help from. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying I don't want help, but I feel like. 
it is if if we are not willing to stand up and help our own community, if we haven't like we have work to do to to leverage black wealth to support the black educational problem. Um, and I feel like that's not an area that we tended to. Um, it's hard. Right. But I feel like that might be a way to to think about uh, bringing more capital to the to the to the party. Um, I, I am thankful to the philanthropists who give to communities that really need it. Um, I, I'm appreciative. I've been allowed to do a lot of my life's work because of white philanthropists who are co-conspirators, who are allies, who who believe, who share my values, and who believe that like we are responsible to each other. And so I'm not throwing stones at all. Right. Um, but I also want wealthy Black people to stand up. When we were trying to start Edlock Education Leaders of Color, you know, hitting home the fact that you know, senior level African-American and Latino leaders need to know each other, need to be able to learn from each other, need to be networked and supported. The The first people who stepped up were white philanthropists. And so I appreciate them recognizing the need to do this and that allowed us to start the organization. It would have been awesome if there were African-American and Latino wealthy people who wrote the checks to start Edlock. Um, but that day is going to come because when y'all get rich, I'm coming to y'all and I'm, I need a check. <laughs> All right, real quick, real quick, real quick, real quick. I'm broke. Chris, are you a member of Edla? <laughs> <laughs> Why do you want to do this to me right now? Are you a member of Edla? do this to me right now. Okay. He was. Charles, are you a member oh, of Edla? I didn't know you weren't anymore. Uh, no, yes, I'm like, like I am. I know, I know what Ray is doing. For the purposes of Ray, Chris is an Edlock member. I'm an Edlock member. Sharif, Sharif, are you a member of Edlock? Unless they kick me out, I'm an Edlock member. Right, right. Oh, oh. Mr. Ingram, you want to know what happened? What happened was... Your people recommend, here's the thing, how do you get into Edlock? Each members recommend new members, so talk amongst yourselves. Right? They all recommended me. <laughs> we, we went through this process. They all recommended oh, me. Yeah. 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 Oh, we did. Let me find out. I'll just yeah. yeah, we need the hookup. We need the hookup to get Ray. <laughs> yeah, but, they, but Ray, I done told you already, Ray. Look, He's you on probably probation. don't. Everybody's endorsement ain't going to help you, fam. Like, you probably don't want, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Uh, but nah, man. That, uh, Kai is a good person to talk to on that. Um, I love that. Like, I, I think that, like, you know, part of this, you know, we have to make some tough decisions. Like, I saw on the hospital board, right? And we have doctors and nurses that said they wanted to go to New York because in the Bay Area, we've actually done a really good job around this. And New York is hemorrhaging. It's actually worse than what's getting reported. And, you know, that was a tough decision for us to make because people are dying. Like, people are redoing their wills and this stuff. Uh, but what, but, but they wanted to go, right? And we had to give them our blessing. The point that I'm making is doctors and nurses, like, that's who they are. They're going to run into that because they want to heal people. And we have a lot of educators or people that say they educators. Like, this is the moment. Like, I should not be able to stop you. I shouldn't be able to stop you right now from putting the resources that we need in our community to educate our baby. So I think it's two conversations we were having simultaneously, Kaya. One is the money conversation resources, which I think you know, again, we need to be hitting up Afrotech. We need to be like really nurturing those folks because a lot of those people have a lot of money soon. But the other thing is just this stuff that we got up here, just our experience and what we got and the knowledge, like 
putting together a list, you know what I mean, of things that parents can do at home. What's your advice for the, the frustrated educator at home that's listening to this conversation and that's fired up because you got them fired up? Tell them what they can do tonight and tomorrow to start helping our babies and make sure that we got what we need. I mean, they are already helping our babies, right? If they're fired up educators, then they're going above and beyond to check on their kids to make sure their kids are getting rigorous. I mean, to me, right, like this is all about what you expect from kids, how you prepare kids, right? If you're holding our kids to the highest standards, then you're doing what I want every fired up educator to do. I want you to prepare my babies for the world that they're about to go into. And if you feel like leadership is part of your ministry or starting something new as part of your ministry, then I would say don't be scared for the time that you have at home where you're not teaching all day. Spend some of that time putting together your business plan for whatever your thing is going to be, right? If you have the wherewithal to do something this summer, then start a summer school, right? There are going to be parents who are looking for opportunities look, hang out your shingle and see what you get. Like we, we, I mean, at the end of the day, don't be scared. If you are fired up, then get whatever that fire is, take it and do it. Like stand up and lead and do what you want to do for the babies. Like that's what, that's how the rest of us are doing it. Right. I'm out here. I got me a day job and I got me two night jobs. Right. Cause like it's a hustle and one of these things is going to take off. Something might not, but I got to make sure that I'm bringing my very best for my my community. Um, And I think everybody has got to ask themselves, am I doing the very best that I can? Am I doing the most right now for kids? And and maybe you've been doing the most and it's your time to take a rest. But make sure that you're supporting somebody who's trying to do the most. Mm -hmm. Love it. All right. So we're coming to that time where we got to give our final thoughts. And so we're going to start with Reef because you ain't said much. Yeah, first of all, you know, thanks again uh, for coming on. We call her, you know, Queen Kaya. Uh, I love the idea about the ecosystem, the the communities rallying around schools and districts and and doing whatever it is that they can. Um, and giving giving that space for the, the thinkers and doers in districts to double down um, for whenever we open up and how it looked. When I went to school overseas, we had a morning afternoon shift. Yeah. And so then that gave us flexibility and they encouraged us to have jobs and roles in, in the community that we could do. So I, I think uh, things like that. Another piece we didn't really talk on, um, I just appreciated the uh, the way that principals supported you and appreciated you. Um, my dear friend, Rachel Scarrett would always just give me anecdotes of like how you directly supported principals. And that pushed them to support their communities um, differently than than perhaps it would have. And that principal being that that role. Uh, when I was uh, when I was leaving the principalship from the district and going to a charter, uh, my supervisor told me something that stuck with me. He said, "You know what? You're being groomed to be a superintendent." And at the time, I just was like, "Well, that's the wrong thing to groom me for because I'm not interested." But now, when I look back, there are people like you and other superintendents who, if if I was a principal and saw you as the superintendent, then that would have given me a very different uh, outlook on what my trajectory may have been. So I just want to, um, you know, just shout you out and thank you again. Uh, Charles. Yeah. Um, two part of that, man. First off, Kaya, just thank you. And uh, and I, just, I mean, for coming on the show, but also 
just the role that you play with me personally. Um, Kai and I have very candid conversations and I, I do feel like she always has my best interests. And we have some tough talks all the time, like kind of back and forth. And I appreciate that. I think that the sharing of wisdom and kind of sharpening each other, it actually means a lot because you don't have to do it. Um, and I appreciate that. I learn as much from you as you learn it's, from me. It's all good. That's 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 what family's supposed to do. Um, and right. I and I think uh, on this topic, on this conversation, I brought up the educator piece. I brought up the school piece. I brought up the we're on our own piece, just because this is a moment that the board has been somewhat wiped. Uh, and I'm this is people are losing their lives. I'm not making light of the situation. What I'm saying is there's no time better than right now for us to rethink what it means to educate black kids. And the reason why we talked about the, I talked about those doctors and those nurses, because if you are an educator, if you are somebody at your heart and at your core, the question isn't what can you be doing right now? It's you should just be out there and we trying to stop you. Like nothing should be stopping you if you feel that you are an amazing educator. When we tell you week after week that three out of 10 black kids can read, when we tell you all the time what's happening to these schools or when black people are trying to open up these independent schools and how people are dumping on them. And then when you have what we've had, we have some amazing superintendents and oh, and our Baltimore superintendent just chimed in, uh, Dr. Santalisa, I, I don't want to say her name wrong. She just showed you some love. But we've had these amazing leaders that are actually moving and doing things that are from our community telling you and telling us and giving you real guidance right now that we got to save ourselves and we got to save our babies. I welcome all our co-conspirators. I welcome people to come into that place. But can't nobody love me. Can't nobody love my household like I can. And as long as you expecting your neighbor to come in and clean your house, it's going to stay fucked up. And that's my final thought. That sounds like a Patreon thought, but all right. <laughs> was I Chris, wrong? Was I wrong somewhere? Hey, I, I'm not determining right or wrong in, in the public space. Um, Chris. Um, just a little bit that I have to say, Kaya, thank you for, for coming on today. The thing that I love about you, Kaya, just period. You're like one of the people that we don't even have to think twice whether or not you love us. Like, it's just obvious that you love your people, right? And and that's one of the things, as a brother to you and you as a sister to me, the thing that I've just always got from you, you can tell people's spirit. People can't fake their spirit, right? And the thing about you that I always know is, I don't have to ask questions whether you love us or not. It's just like inherent, right? Mm-hmm. And I want everybody to feel that. I want our kids to feel that. I want everybody in any company of any educator to walk away with that feeling. So I I just want to put that out there. We need to be respectful of the people in our movement who make us feel like that and know something about something. And then I'll, I'll end by saying, Kai, you and I have had these conversations, but I always like to go back to the fact that if we do want to do something different, we're not broke. We're not necessarily broke as a people. As a matter of fact, as a people, we're kind of wealthy if you were to put us all together and think about us in a global context. Yeah. And we got all these organizations that have all these budgets and infrastructure and people, right? Sororities and Jack and Jill and fraternities and NAACP and Urban League and the Black Educators Association. I could just keep going down a list. There's probably, you know, a list of like 50 groups that are Black that have budgets, people, uh, strategic plans. We should have a meeting with them. What's that? Yeah, she, we should have a meeting with them. Right? A meeting. I, I just like, I, I just, yeah. And you know, is it some kind of like black 
We got one meeting, like some kind of black human, black people meeting something. If there was a secret black meeting and everybody came, like, like let's just say it's in some state nobody would find us, like Idaho, right? Right, right. Some place where no one would find us, we could work this out on our own. I think so. That's what I think so. Thank you. So, 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 Kai, what's your your final thoughts, and then I'll close this out. Um, I just want to say thank you for having me. Um, finally, got <laughs> <laughs> on eight black hands. Um, but really, thank you all for the work that each of you individually does. Um, but thank you for creating this space. I think it's really important um, to have a space where we can talk about educational issues for our community. Um, I, I'm, I'm for the education of everybody, right? Um, but I, as Chris said, I love black people. I'm a little black girl who got a good education and changed my whole entire life. And so having a place where I can speak specifically about my passion for black people and for black education or education for people of color, um, education for liberation, like I, I appreciate you uh, creating a space, holding space, for this kind of candid conversation. All right. So to close us out, everybody gave you like this heartfelt tribute because they know you personally. Unfortunately, I can't give you such a heartfelt tribute because I don't know you. <laughs> that boy got salt coming out of his beard, don't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah. He had to on him, Morton. Salt and pepper beard is in a different way. Hey, but but, but I, I, love, I love the energy. Um, thank you for coming and learning us today. I appreciate it. Uh, you're a scholar and a saint. Over, as soon as this is over, we and I have to go have coffee or something. That's yeah, 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 definitely. We out here. Ray not ready. Uh, Ray, you not so, ready. <laughs> you ain't ready, Ray. <laughs> you have been listening to another episode of the Eight Black Hands. We will be restreaming this on Twitter through our Twitter account at some time, some point. Yeah, but, but download the podcast. The yeah, podcast will be out. You need yeah, you to go yeah. do that. I will no, get this yeah. up tonight and you yeah. download it tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, easy. <laughs> <laughs> Y'all like Prince. You don't even know how to end a song. Chris B. Brother, We will see y'all later. Let me tell you something. Y'all from the hands. Oh my God. Hit the button. We out this thing. We out. Peace. (laughs) You have been listening to the Eight Black Hands podcast with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecky, and Stuart. If you like what you heard, follow us on Twitter. Our handle is at 8BlackHands1. Thank you for listening.